I am Ryan, the life changer, and I am so grateful that you decided to join me today. This podcast is called Unlock the Power of Your Mind. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready for your life to change? Are you ready to unlock the power of your mind? Are you ready to be the best version of you possible? I want to help you. I want this podcast to give new positive meanings to the difficult times that you faced in your life. And I want to help you become the best version of you possible. This is your time. The change is happening for you now. I know you're ready. Let's help today to change your life. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining me for another episode of Unlock the Power of Your Mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a guest with me here today that is going to blow your mind in in his background and how he is able to provide to us some life-changing strategies and techniques in the technology-filled world that we live in today. So I want to introduce to you Robert Plotkin. He is the founder of Technology for Mindfulness. Robert, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So um, I know that the listeners are going to hear just quite the unique background that that you have in a lot of different fields uh, and how you were able to kind of bring them all together to help us out with the power of technology and how we can use it to serve us. Share with the listeners a little bit uh, about your early childhood and background and kind of how you got into the field that you work in today. Yeah, I mean, I've been immersed in technology pretty much my whole life. I I love computers and technology. You you can't keep me away from them. (laughs) I started programming when I was about 10 years old. You know, as a kid, we had a couple of computers in our school. They were TRS-80s back around 1980 or so, for anyone who might remember those. and, uh, you know, we learned how to program in basic and I just loved it and got hooked and just started voraciously, you know, teaching myself how to do it. There was no internet then. So it was from books and magazines. Uh, and, uh, you know, fast forward, I ended up going to MIT studying computer science there and then went to law school and have been a patent attorney for over 20 years, focusing on helping high tech companies and inventors get legal protection for computer technology. So I just live and breathe technology. Uh, But, you know, in the early years, I remember that when I would sit down to write, whether it was writing code or just doing other writing at a computer, I felt like a computer was a great tool for helping me stay focused. You know, now that may sound shocking to people who've never had that experience. You know, if you've only come to use technology in the last 10, 20 years with all the distractions and of smartphones and social media. But, you know, if you think back to the day when a computer wasn't connected to the internet, when it couldn't multitask, but when you sat down to write, for example, you just saw a blank screen with a cursor on it. Uh, you couldn't switch between applications. You weren't getting messages or pop-ups or anything coming at you. Uh, you know, I, I found it was really, really a great focus enhancing tool, you know, and and I have a lot of great memories of being in that zone of creativity and productivity, uh, writing, and then doing other kinds of creative and productive work. 
And that continued on to when I became a lawyer and my professional career. But that started changing in the 90s, you know, with the internet. Uh, first, you know, very gradually through email and then high-speed internet. And then, of course, mobile devices where you'd have the internet on your body at all times. And I just found it was getting harder and harder for me to stay focused and to concentrate. Uh, both for my work where I needed to do this for clients. You know, as a patent lawyer, I need to be able to sit down for hours at a time and focus. Uh, and I just found that being harder and harder to do. And, you know, this was a tool, a computer, and then smartphones, all kinds of technology that I really loved. And I was finding I had to increasingly fight against it. But that insight that it felt like fighting and that it felt like when my smartphone would beep at me, it felt like getting attacked you know, that helped me draw on another set of experiences and backgrounds I had, which is training in martial arts. You know, uh, about the same time I started uh, diving into computers, I started studying karate as a kid. And I've st stuck with that my whole life in one form or another. I've left it for periods of time and I've always come back to it. And, you know, I remember a few years ago feeling like, wow, it just feels like this smartphone is throwing punches at me all day. You know? and, and physiologically, it can trigger the same kind of response when you hear that phone beep, you know, with a text message or something else. Your body tenses up, you know, you, 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 you might freeze, your heart rate goes up. It's a lot of the same physiological response as when you get taken by surprise by an attack or someone getting angry at you. And I realized, I've had a lot of experience and practice and training in how to respond internally to that kind of a feeling so that I am not just reacting to what happens outside me, but so that I can stay in control and respond to that attack skillfully and wisely in the way that I want to from all the martial arts training. So you know, I've tried to condense this, but that's how my combination of backgrounds has come together. And I've through technology for mindfulness, I provide people with a lot of different tips, strategies, new kinds of practices they can engage in to develop new habits for responding to technology, again, so that they are in control. Uh, and part I've done this through uh, the course that we've launched called Tap Into Mindfulness, which is a series of ex guided exercises that you do with your smartphone to really unlearn your existing instinctive ways of reacting to it and rebuild new habits that let you intentionally take control over how you use your smartphone. Awesome. So you touched on something very important that I want to unpack for the listeners for a second, which is the attack, the, the technology attack. And I, it's a tremendous point. And, and I don't know if the listeners uh, sometimes are consciously aware of it. So let's take it back for a second. In, in our caveman days, when we would get attacked by a, a, a wild creature, or we were hungry and we needed to get food, or any of the basic human emotions, um, our body would release certain neurotransmitters and have certain biochemical reactions internally. What I don't think people realize today, and it's what you so beautifully touched on, is the same thing can happen with our smartphone, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist here, but they're designed to do that. It's not an accident. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, the devices and the apps, uh, you know, particularly things like social media, all kinds of messaging, but also games uh, and, and the way that news media is conveyed. 
it's all designed specifically to tap into those very primitive parts of your brain that respond with a fight or flight or freeze uh, type of response uh, at a very low level. And that's why very often, you know, if you've had the experience, and I'm sure people listening can all relate to having the experience of feeling like the phone is controlling you or like you've gotten sucked in against your will to social media, Facebook, or something else for a long period of time, and then you emerge out of it, you kind of wake up and you feel like, oh, I was acting automatically. Well, in a sense, you were, because the technology was tapping into parts of your brain that respond automatically and instinctively, because we were evolved that way uh, to protect ourselves, just as you said. Now, of course, the phone is not actually a life-threatening uh, uh, it's not threatening our lives in the way that a tiger is, but it can feel to our brains and our bodies a lot like it is. Also, I mean, sometimes the phone triggers a po- uh, gives a positive stimuli. It's not all negative. You know, there can be things that are very attractive about the phone that are also triggering our need, our very deep primitive need for social connection or for love or just for excitement and joy and pleasure. Uh, technology taps into both sides of those things. And it's not that any of that is inherently bad or wrong. It's just that uh, the technology is so powerful at it and so constant now that I think it's, it's led a lot of us to be, uh, have an experience that's imbalanced. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting that hit of dopamine, but when you're getting it for two hours straight, uh, it can be unhealthy. And the same thing with that fear response. You know, there's nothing wrong with stress. In fact, it's, it, you know, science tells us now that there's an optimum level of stress. If you want to be productive and efficient and accomplish things, some degree of stress can be helpful. But Absolutely. too much, too much is unhealthy. You know, it's all about balance. And, and we've lost that balance now with technology. And I think the only way we're going to get it back is by paying attention to what our experience is and, and working on redeveloping our, our habits uh, so that we are shaping our experience and our actions instead of just being led by the nose by technology. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I'd love for the listeners to take away from our conversation today is ways that they can start using technology instead of um, either consciously or unconsciously having technology use them. So share, share with the listeners a little bit about um, some, some tips and tricks and strategies that they uh, can learn from you on how they can start to use technology to serve them and to help them throughout their day as opposed to getting used by it. Yeah, I'll give some very practical pointers, but let me just start with something that one of my martial arts teachers many years used to say, which has always stuck with me because it's very analogous to the kinds of ways we can uh, change our, how we interact with technology. He said, it's better to block than to get hit, right? Someone throws a punch, better to block it than to get hit in the face. Better to move out of the way than to block. Okay, if you can slide out of the way of that punch, you don't run the risk of getting hit. You don't have to block with your arm and hurt your arm. Better to move out of the way than to, than to block. Better not to be there in the first place than to move out of the way. <laughs> That's the Love it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> you know, Simple, but but accurate. You know, uh, th- there's a, the founder of the main style of karate that I study, Shotokan. 
you know, people revere him uh, as a great master, it's Gichin Funakoshi. But if you read his works, and he says things like, you know, if you really want to operate at a high level, uh, don't walk in dangerous neighborhoods at night. <laughs> okay, uh, he gives very practical examples about how not to get yourself into situations where you have to use any of your fighting skill. You know, so analogously with technology, uh, don't have your phone in your bedroom at night. Don't have your phone at the dinner table or at meals with friends and family. Just don't have it around you at certain times so that you don't have to resist the temptation to use it. It's just not there tempting you. It can be hard to do, uh, but I found that with some practice, you can do it. Again, it's not about abstinence or giving up the technology entirely. It's about finding certain times, places, and situations where you choose ahead of time not to have it near you so that you don't have to resist. And you know, one, one reason that's very valuable is that Let's say you've got your phone near you and you get a notification. It pops up, you look, and you, quote, successfully resist uh, swiping on it. You've still used a little bit of your time and a little bit of your willpower <laughs> to have to resist that urge. It's a drain on your brain. It might be small, but multiply that by 50, 100, 200 times a day. Is that really how you want to spend your precious life and mind energy? Uh, so it can be very valuable to just choose times and places and experiment with what works for you when you're not going to have technology around you or when it's going to be turned off. Uh, let me let me stop you there real quick, yeah. Robert, because I'm in complete alignment with you. Why is it important to not check your phone and either before, right before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning? Can you talk about the power of you know the brain waves and and where they're at relative to how the phone can influence us the most at those times? Yeah. Now, look, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist. I can speak from my own experience and from what I know generally about things like sleep. And it's coincidentally, uh, one of uh, 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 my, the senior students in the karate school I was in for a long time was a sleep researcher. <laughs> and I remember talking to him and he said, you know, with all of the different sleep problems that people have that come in every way, shape and form you can imagine, uh, and he had been doing this this work for years with people who'd come into a lab, you know, and sleep, and they'd hook them up to brain monitors and everything. He said, the, for most people, the basic thing they can do to get better sleep is to start winding down at least an hour before they want to actually be asleep. Uh, that means dimming the lights, no screens. For most people, probably not even reading gradually start getting your body into that sleep mode rather than try to do it all at once, meaning staying fully active in some way, bright lights on, and then turn them off and expect your body and mind to switch somehow immediately into sleep. Again, think about evolution. It's not how we were involved, evolved. The sun goes down gradually. <laughs> you know, most humans were stopping doing their hunting and gathering and anything else and were lying down gradually, letting their body move into that sleep mode so that's one reason not to have your not to check your phone uh, even more importantly if you do check your phone they're almost right before you go to bed let's say you feel i just need to check it to make sure there's no emergency or something else that i need to attend to before i go to sleep i'll tell you 
99 times out of 100, even if there's no emergency, there's something you will see that will amp up your metabolism a little bit. <laughs> new yes. email, text message, news article, update of some kind, whatever it is, it'll amp you up a little bit, make it that much harder to go to sleep. So that, that's a big reason not to, not to check right before you go to bed. In terms of waking up, very similar. Uh, it's good to be able to wake your body up gradually, ease yourself into the day, transition into the day in some way that's not so jarring. Uh, whereas if you turn your phone on, again, the technology is designed to be very stimulating. You will very likely see, hear something from it that's going to really jolt you awake. It also means that you miss the opportunity to do whatever it is that you do to set your intention for the day, do a little bit of planning for the day, whatever form it may take for you, whether it's actually meditating or just thinking ahead, you know, what does what my day hold in store for me? Uh, what I said earlier, you know, it's about taking back control uh, over your life and uh, setting your own direction. That's what you can use a little bit of time. It could be even five minutes right after you wake up before you get out of bed. You lose that if the first thing you do is turn your phone on and check it, right? Then it's something in the phone outside of you that's directing you from the moment you wake up instead of you directing yourself. Amen, for sure. And um, it's something that, that I've started not so good at it at the nighttime, but in the morning time, I will not even leave my phone in the room. Um, so that uh, first thing when I wake up in the morning, I do a little five minutes of, of meditation and gratitude and, you know, a little cold water on my face, drink a bottle of water, um, and then kind of do my, do my prayers or, or maybe a little bit more time into meditation. I notice a significant difference with how my mind feels on the mornings where I do that, which is not every morning, I'd be lying if I said it was every morning, but on the six of the seven mornings a week that I do that, I feel a tremendous difference in my day. Um, is, what morning practices did, do you practice, Robert, that kind of helped you? Uh, in your I generally meditate. Most of the time, I'll use an app. <laughs> I actually, I, I've tried a few different ones, so I I don't have a single way that I meditate in the morning. I, I like calm.com, which the app is just called calm. The website is calm.com. Uh, I also like insight timer. Uh, sometimes I wake up and just meditate on my own, do a general like open awareness meditation. And sometimes I'll do something that's more planning, like just actually sit and think about what I have in store for the day. You know, I call that less of a meditation and more, more of planning exercise. And, you know, how do I choose what to do? Sometimes I think about it the night before, and sometimes I wake up and let myself spend 30 seconds getting in touch with what feels like it would be best for me to do then. Uh, so in one way, sh way, shape, or form, I spend at least five or 10 minutes. If I have time and I feel like it would be helpful to me, I spend more time than that. Uh, but for me, it's generally not, uh, it's still, you know, and I know for some people, uh, I'm not this way in the morning. Some people feel like getting up out of bed and going for a run immediately, you know, just jump out of bed and go for a run. Yeah. I'd say if that is what gets you grounded and feel like you're off to a good start for your day, you know, do it. This is, this is part of what, you know, I think what's valuable about 
uh, mindfulness practice and something we try to practice on the technology for mindfulness is to encourage people to explore what works best for them to give suggestions to people, but not dictates because, you know, people vary a lot. And, you know, even each of us varies within ourselves. Like I said, my practice can vary a bit from day to day. It might change over time. Uh, I'm a big believer in each person trying to get in touch with what's best for them, experimenting and using themselves as their own best guide. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and starting somewhere, uh, you know, starting today and starting somewhere. So if you can only do it for five minutes, ladies and gentlemen, do it for five minutes. If you can do it for 10, do it for 10. If you can last the whole 30, awesome. When I first started doing it, I couldn't last for more than, for more than five minutes without my brain going all over the place. But um, definitely want to encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, to, to listen to Robert's advice here and, um, you know, think about making those changes before you go to bed and definitely first thing in the morning. So let's move on now throughout the day. The phone is going off, but we need our phone for business. Obviously, with your, your experience as being a lawyer, I'm sure when your clients wanted to get in touch with you, they wanted to get in touch with you now. Um, share with the listeners some actionable strategies that they can use um, throughout their day where we know we have to use our phone, but again, we want to be using it as a tool. Yeah, I'll just rattle off a few that are, are low-hanging fruit. They're easy to do, and they have a big return. One is I make very generous use of do not disturb. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, there's some version of it or another on every device and every operating system. They don't all call it the same thing, but on Apple, they call it do not disturb. It's something you can turn on to block notifications, right? And for people who feel like, oh no, I couldn't do that. I have to be able to hear from my child or my husband or wife or boss if there's an emergency, you can set up all kinds of exceptions to let people through certain people at certain times uh, if, you, if you want that. So you can get the best of both worlds. But blocking and controlling notifications is something very easy to do and has a very big impact. Uh, and in addition to do not disturb, I advise people, go through the notification settings for all of the apps on your phone and <laughs> turn them all off unless you can convince yourself that you absolutely need a particular kind of notification from a certain type of app. When you install a new app, most of them by default turn on all kinds of notifications that you don't need. <laughs> oh yeah, I swear. They, they install notifications and make it into your phone. You don't even realize. You're like, oh man, where, where did this come from? Yeah, you don't need them. So, you know, I, I'm kind of a weather junkie. I like checking the weather a lot. But I've gone in and turned off everything I think except tornado warnings from the weather app. <laughs> uh, I really don't need to know that it's about to start raining in 30 minutes. And my weather app will tell me that if I haven't turned that notification off. Uh, it's just a constant distraction. So notifications are a big one. Another thing you can do where you can actually use technology to help you engage in this habit, which is schedule times when you're going to engage in certain types of activities with technology and batch them together. Uh, so in my business, so I run the business and I am a lawyer in the business, so which means I have to serve clients and I also have to handle uh, management tasks. I put calendar appointments in the calendar for management tasks, for accounting related stuff, for um, oversight of other people's work. 
these are categories where if I, it would be, it's so easy otherwise to just let my email inbox or whatever messaging system you to let that inbox drive and direct whatever you're going to do next throughout the whole day. I would suggest flip it around, decide in advance what you want to do when, set the appointments. And then when that appointment comes up for me that says accounting, I know I'll, I'll handle all the accounting tasks then, including any messages that have come in. Uh, I use categories. There's, again, all kinds of ways you can do it in different apps. I'm in Outlook. When emails come in, I assign them a category, and I have my inbox automatically sorted by categories. So I keep that inbox very, very clean as much as possible. Uh, one great thing about categories in Outlook is I, you can cl basically collapse them all. So that when you have a certain category collapsed, like I have the main inbox collapsed most of the time, which means if I'm looking at my accounting categories of emails, that main inbox isn't staring at me. I can't see what's in it. I don't see new messages arriving. So I'm not tempted by them. <laughs> mm. Robert, that is so powerful. I, I want to dive into that together because that is it's just absolutely incredible uh, strategy and advice. So let's say for the average uh, listener, uh, maybe they're a mother or a father, um, and it comes to their personal life, family life, and, and business life, right? What actionable strategies do you have for them on how they can separate the three yet make sure they're doing what it is that they need to do? Should they be setting like alarms on their on their phone or um, you know relative to the category or let's, let's yeah. that because that's powerful advice. It is, and you know one thing I I'll, I'll say about this is you have to make sure not to overdo it. Right, it's all balance. You can set so many categories that then managing the categories and the appointments becomes more of a hassle and more stressful than than the hassle and stress that it saves. So that's why you have to know your own life and work and figure out something that is not so burdensome to keep on top of that it feels like more stress than it's worth. But when you mentioned managing personal and business, uh, you know, these days, uh, it's very easy to have separate accounts. Again, you don't want to have too many of them. I'm not saying have 15 email accounts. But if you have, a, a, at the very least, a work and a personal account, uh, you know, that's, that's small, amount, but that can make a big difference so that when you're living your personal life, you're not seeing work messages come in. All the major operating systems make it very easy to do things like hide one account and then reshow it whenever you want to see it again. In the old days, that was a much more challenging thing to do. I find the same thing with calendar appointments. I have a few different calendars for different spheres of my life, you know, and I, it takes a little bit of effort. You know, when you create a new appointment to make sure to assign it to the right calendar, but that's a couple of extra seconds. And then it means that if it's the weekend and I don't want to see my work appointments, <laughs> you know, I go into the calendar and I tell it to hide the work calendar. And then for the whole rest of the weekend, when I look at that calendar, I'm not seeing work appointments. Yeah, that, that's incredible, Robert. I, I have never heard somebody break it down like that before. Um, and boy, that is, that is some tremendous advice to, to the listeners out there. If I could piggyback on that, maybe, and I'm just thinking out loud here, maybe for, for the ladies and gentlemen listening, maybe, you know, uh, Friday afternoon is going to be family day. 
and you just kind of block that out on your uh, on your calendar or you know um, maybe certain days of the week are going to be focused on certain things and then you kind of put in line with those days um, the alerts you have for whatever tasks that you have for that day do you, do you have you ever yeah, implemented absolutely. something like that absolutely absolutely you know personally I find that just seeing something like that on the calendar in advance like if it's today's Tuesday and I look at the calendar and I'm feeling stressed out oh I know I've got these personal things to do when is it going to happen and I look oh I see you know I've scheduled time on Thursday afternoon for that it gives me a little feeling of relief like oh yeah it's going to happen I've set aside time when that time comes, the calendar will remind me so I won't forget. And it's actually a big stress relief. A lot of the people, you know, the productivity gurus talk about this, that just uh, setting up a system so that your brain can know you put things in that system so that they're where they need to be and so that you'll be able to find them when you look for them can really relieve a lot of stress in the moment now instead of constantly feeling like, oh, you know, I know I've got a bunch of things to do. I don't even quite know what they all are because <laughs> I haven't been yeah. keeping track of them. And I don't know when I'm going to do them. And I'm afraid a week's going to pass. And then I'm going to remember I should have done it. So, you know, when you mentioned putting aside that family afternoon, even putting in a calendar appointment for a general category, all you have to do is, you know, the simplest way is just put that title as the title of the appointment, or you don't even have to put the details of what you're going to do necessarily in the appointment. That I find is a big improvement over not having it in there at all. Also, if you're using, you know, a calendar for your family, uh, can help to schedule it together. So for many reasons, one, it means you'll both remember, you'll all remember to engage in this activity at the same time. It'll be on your shared calendar. I find shared calendars can be really useful uh, for this kind of thing. And for another reason, which is uh, it helps people to support each other. You know, if you all know you've set aside that Thursday afternoon, then you're all planning for it. You're thinking about it in advance. And, you know, if that time comes on Thursday afternoon and you, Ryan, are sitting at your desk, your wife goes, hey, Ryan, you know, remember, this is the time we all schedule. <laughs> be in a non-judgmental, yes, non non-pushy way. But it's, I think of it, if it's done right, it can feel like a mutually supportive uh, way of, of doing things uh, to have it all planned out in advance. And it, it, it relieves stress as well. Absolutely. Very well said. So share with the listeners. I know you have a podcast, the website. Um, and in your blog, which is an incredible wealth of information. I'm going to break down to the listeners a little bit about technology for mindfulness, Robert, and what you offer on the site and the organization. Yeah, so we've got a blog which has, it's very much focused on practical tips for, for using technology mindfully. You know, it, it gives uh, reviews and descriptions of meditation apps and uh, all kinds of other apps and new kinds of habits and and tips like the ones i've given you now uh, we've got a podcast we're very much like like yours right here i interview experts from all kinds of fields and one thing i've really enjoyed about it is we have people from every walk of life you know we've got traditional buddhist meditation teachers we've got uh, people at app companies developing mindfulness apps we've got uh, 
anthropologists, sociologists, we've got, uh, you know, professors, uh, we've got parents uh, who have uh, worked on ways to parent kids in the digital age. I mean, people from neuroscientists, uh, you know, every, every walk of life, because I think the, the challenges we face with technology do really require us to bring in all of these different types of experience and, and knowledge. Um, and the last thing I mentioned is we have the course Tap Into Mindfulness, uh, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a series of exercises that you can practice. It's not an app. Uh, you don't need to buy any new technology or download anything onto your phone. I could actually lead you through an example of one, and your listeners can do it just right while they're listening. Just don't do it while you're driving, please. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you could walk us through it real quick, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, very quickly. So uh, wake up your phone. And I always like to say, this is like Simon says, so pay very carefully to what I'm saying. Uh, I want you to think of an app that often really sucks you into it. You know, might be Facebook or Twitter, or for me, it's email. Maybe I'm a little old fashioned, a text message. I don't know what it is for you, Ryan. Do you mind sharing? Instagram. Instagram. Okay, great. So this is where you need to listen carefully to the instructions. Don't move your hand or your finger yet. Find that app. You may need to scroll to it. Slowly move your finger towards the icon on the screen and then stop your finger just before it touches the screen. So now your finger is hovering over the, over the icon. And now the exercise is to pay attention to what you're feeling. You know, what are you feeling in your body? Is your chest tightening maybe? Are you feeling any... Uh, your palms sweating, is your breath change? And very common for people's breath to just stop now. I don't know, Ryan, if you want to share any. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll share with the listeners. So uh, full vulnerability because that's how I am in every episode. Where I struggle, Robert, is I use Instagram as a business tool as well as a personal tool. And so for my business, I need to be uh, very active and engaged with the listener, uh, the, um, you know, with, with the people that follow me and, and messages, um, you know, if somebody is having an issue placing an order, whatever the case may be. And so a lot of times I know in my mind, I'll justify going to Instagram for business and I will very easily end up switching over to my personal account. Um, and then before you know it, I look at my clock and 45 minutes has gone by and I say, man, what, what, where did I just lose all that time? So it's not even like I went there for, I went there for a good reason initially and then somewhere along the line got distracted. Yeah. Yeah. So this exercise, you know, in the course, we go through it a lot more detail. We ask you to pay attention to uh, your bodily sensations, like the breath, uh, to your thoughts. You know, you can now pause. And pay attention, Are you, do you have any thoughts going through your mind, any desire to go check what's on Instagram? Are you thinking about what you do while you were there? Do you have any feelings like anticipation or, or maybe some irritability or fear or excitement? And a lot of time, so part of, and then when you're done, you pull your finger away without tapping on the icon. So I'll, there's a lot of aspects to this, but let me just point out two. One of them is its way of training yourself to actually pay attention to your internal experience and your intentions, your thoughts and feelings. 
while you're in the process of going towards that app because we nor most of us normally aren't aware of what our experience is. We're having that experience, but we're not aware of it. So we're practicing learning about what's going on for us. But second, we're practicing physically pausing your finger before it touches the screen. That's very important. Very important. And you can do what I call rep training. You know, just like you do in the gym with the with the dumbbell curls, you can take your finger, move it towards the icon, stop, pull it away. Get your finger, move it towards the icon, stop, pull it away. Do it 20, 30 times. You can do it 30 times in a minute. What that is intended to do, keep practicing this a couple of times a day for a week or two weeks, is to drill into you that ability to pause. And then I'd ask you to try it out and see. You know, when you do that for practice, then when the time comes when you instinctively go to tap on Instagram, see if you pause because the habit that you practiced has kicked in. Yeah, for sure. I need to pause and think, am I going here because I really need to do for business or am I going here because I'm looking for the dopamine hit to see how many people like the, the picture on my personal page? Yeah, and that's what the exercise intend to do. It's intended to create that opportunity for you to pause and and reflect on what you're doing so you can make a more conscious intentional decision and that's where the taking back control over how you interact with your phone comes into play so this is the name of the course is tap into mindfulness there's 10 exercises like this all from different perspectives and um, you can find all of this the blog the podcast and the course all at tap into mindfulness i'm sorry at Technology for mindfulness.com. The course itself is at tap into mindfulness.com. Technology Ladies and gentlemen, you need to pause the, the podcast right now and go re listen to those. <laughs> Not while you're driving. Go back and do that. Not Robert. That is, I've never heard somebody say that before. But that is so, um, with the listeners, if they want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to follow or, or interact with you, Robert? Yeah, we've got, you know, we are on social media. We try to be on there pretty moderately. Uh, if you go to technologyformindfulness.com, you'll find the links to us on, on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, because I'm professional, very focused on professionals, we publish content on LinkedIn, also on Medium, Tech for, tech for Mindful on Medium. Uh, but the hub is Technology for Mindfulness. If you forget everything else, you can always go uh, straight to technologyformindfulness.com and it'll let you know how to get in touch with us everywhere else. Awesome. One last question for you, Robert. What is what is next for you or where do you see uh, the future going and how we will, you know, what's in the future for us to be able to use our phones to really elevate our mindfulness to the next level? Do you, do you see any vision on where things could possibly go? Yeah, I think the big vision is that once, once we've got more of a groundswell of people who have taken back their, their power over how they use their phones, uh, this is a really big picture vision, but is to start uh, collectively in an organized way, ex- starting to exercise control over the tech companies to influence how they design their products so that they are serving more of our own ends. We have seen some of this in features like Do Not Disturb and Screen Time. Uh, All the major tech companies have launched digital health initiatives uh, to make their products more 
more healthy for us. And that's a lot in response to consumer and corporate pushback on the companies. So everything else I've talked about today has really been about how we can change ourselves. I think the next stage in all of this is for us all collectively to start uh, exercising influence on the tech companies. So we're not just passively receiving whatever they decide to sell to us, but that we're becoming more actively involved in influencing uh, the development of the technology that's become so integral to our lives. Yeah, absolutely. You said digital health. Boy, is that um, how true? 20 years ago, we, we, the word digital didn't even mean what, what it meant today, or at least prior to the internet or whatever the case may be. Um, and now we're talking about digital health, but I think everything we've talked about today really exemplifies just how much these digital and electronic devices can, can really influence our health. So, Robert, thank you so very much for your time. I really appreciate all of the actionable strategies. I want to encourage all the listeners to connect with Robert and to go visit his site, technologyformindfulness.com. Robert, again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Ryan. I had a really good time on this show. Best of luck. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. My prayer is that it has helped to change your life, to make a positive impact in your life. And I just want to let you know that every single day, the first goal that I write down is I have changed 1 million lives. So ladies and gentlemen, if this podcast helped to change your life today, I would ask you to please go on to iTunes, rate, review and share this episode with somebody else who you know will benefit and have their life changed. Thank you again so very much. It means the world to me. Go out there and be great today. Make a positive impact in the world.